0: Man, that that is a blessing and you know this this time of year we we often you know we're focusing on on the birth of Jesus which you know is the beginning of, of the salvation plan I was I was really blessed on Wednesday evening I think it was we were at a Christmas service at a church in Loveland and the pastor there uh, entwined the whole salvation message into uh the Christmas story, it didn't just, you know, stop with the birth of Jesus, and and that was that was beautiful, and that is, uh, this song, you know, totally builds on that, and I think is very fitting coming out of the Christmas season, remembering the sacrifice, or the full plan of salvation, we don't have to wait till Easter to think about that, 903, there's power in the blood. Cool. You got your song here that uh, has a bass lead in the chorus, so make sure you sing out. <laughs> I can use some more, yeah, thank you. Um, Heidi, do you want to take the lead on this, and I'll help Carrie yeah. sing bass. Mm-hmm. Are out doing yourselves this morning. Was that a good enough bass song for you, Michael? All right. Anyone else? That sounds dangerous. (laughs) How about if we go to number 524? I know who I believe. This is another song building on a salvation message, but from the point of the believer that is confident in what the Lord has done for them. And I encourage you to think about it as you're singing this song. If you're singing this song and you can't say with confidence what this song is saying, let me tell you that there is a way for you to have this confidence. The salvation that our God has offered us through his son, Jesus Christ and give us this confidence that we're about to sing about. So think about that as you're singing. You may have to take the lead on this one, Heidi. It gets pretty high. Hey. have a song on their heart yet? 243. Number 243. Our God reigns. 538. Amen. This will be our final song for uh, our hymn sing portion here. So let's all stand up if you're able and sing out with joy and with confidence. You can be seated, and uh, kids. I think Carrie's got a little bit of something for you. If uh, you young kids want to come on up here.
1: I'm sorry, I brought it up. <laughs> um, all right.
2: What's it? Well, we just sang. Uh, uh, Christ is solid rock, I stand. What's a kid's solid rock? quite. Close. One more, I'm thinking. The wise man.
1: built his house on the sand.
2: Uh-oh. We're going to have to sing the song, so you learn it. Did he
1: build his house in the sand? The wise man did? <laughs> no. <laughs> Where'd the wise man build his house, Anthony? Wise Man Bill My heart. Down in the depths of my heart. Down in the depths of my heart. I've got the wonderful love of my
3: blessed Redeemer way down
4: in the depths of
1: my heart. Down in the depths of my heart to stay. Inside, outside, side, side, up, right, down, right, and, and, and y'all. Yeah. No wonder you guys can't sing anything. That's our one week. Can we do it fast? Do it fast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, this yeah, 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 yeah. This Sunday I mean, it's our time. Turn to what? Did you do it fast last Sunday? They had a slow
3: Sunday last
2: Sunday? But I don't have the drums to.
3: Okay.
2: Uh which verse do you want to do fast? Wrapped up, tie up, tight up. Okay, we'll do one verse fast. I'm wrapped up, tied up, take, take it up in Jesus, wrapped up, tie it up, take it
1: up in Jesus, up, wrapped up, tie it up, take it up in Jesus, I'm wrapped up, up tight up, take, take up, it up, wrapped up tight up, take up, it up, wrapped up tight up, take it up, be up. up, take up, up, up
2: Okay, you guys want to take a seat here. I'm going to finish the story. Remember who we talked about two weeks ago now. Do you remember? Remember her first name? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mary. Do you remember the last name? Lesser is right. What was Mary Slessor? do you remember, Michael?
1: You don't remember.
2: She was a missionary. Remember from where? She went to Africa, no, Edinburgh, which I believe is UK, or no, Scotland. Now I'm going to be
3: messed up on that.
2: So, found her from all parts of darkness From all parts of the dark shadows sprang forward till scores of men with their chiefs were jostling, chattering, and threatening. I have heard that you are going to war. I have come to ask you not to fight, she replied. The chiefs hurriedly talked together. Then they came to her and said, The white ma is welcome. She shall hear all that we have to say before we fight. All the same, we shall fight. For here you see men wounded. We must wipe out the disgrace that is put upon us. Now she must rest. Women take care of the white moth. We will call her a we will call her a cock crow when we start. What's what would be cock crow? When does the rooster crow? What time in the morning?
1: Never once.
2: That too. Um you never heard of a rooster crow?
3: No. Um, yes. Oh yeah. So when
2: we used to go up into the villages up in Thailand, we used to go up into the granny sit up please. We used to go up into the villages, and we'd stay in these huts made out of bamboo. And we'd be like, oh, we are so happy to sleep. Every morning at the crack of dawn, that rooster would right underneath of us. Because these huts were built up like 10 feet high on bamboo stilts. And they'd sit there, and that rooster would come out, and right underneath you at the crack of dawn. And we'd say, oh, we just want to sleep. Nope, not that. That rooster would never let us sleep. Alright. So when the so when the rooster crows, then we will start. This meant an hour's sleep. Mary Slesser lay down in a hut. It seemed as though her eyes were hardly shut before she was wakened again. She stood tottering with tiredness when she heard the cry. Run, Ma, run. The warriors were off down the hill away away to the fight. She ran, but they were quickly out of sight on the way to the attack. Was all her trouble in vain? She pressed on Weak and breathless, but determined, she heard wild yells and the roll of the wild drum. The warriors she had followed were feverishly making ready to fight, a hundred yards distance from the enemy village. She went up to them and spoke sternly. Behave like men, she said, not like fools. Do not yell and shout, hold your peace. I'm going into the village there. She pointed to the enemy. Then she walked forward, and ahead of her stood the enemy in an unbroken ranks of dark warriors. They stood like a solid wall. She hailed them as she walked forward. There was an ominous silence. She laughed. How perfect your manners are, she exclaimed. She was about to walk forward and force them to make way for her when an old chief stepped out toward her and, to her amazement, knelt down at her feet. Ma, he said, we thank you for coming to us. We own that we wounded the chief over there. It was only one of our men who did it. It was not the act of all our town. We ask that you would speak with our enemy to bring them to peace with us. She looked into the face of the chief, then she saw to her joy that this was the very chief whom she had toiled through the rain to heal long ago. Because of what she had done then, he was now at her feet asking her to make peace. Should she run back and tell the warriors who were a hundred yards away and were spoiling for a fight? That was her first joyful thought, then she saw that she must first make her authority stronger over the whole band of warriors. Stay where you are, she said. Some of you find a place where I can sit in comfort and bring me food and I will not starve while men fight. Choose two or three men to speak well for you and we will have two men from your enemies. These grim warriors so sullen and threatening a few moments ago obeyed her every word. At length two chiefs came from the other side and stood on one side of her and while the two chiefs and while the two chiefs chosen in the village came and threw down their arms and knelt at their feet. Your chief chief, they said, was wounded by a drunken youth. Do not let us shed blood through all our villages because of what he did. If you will cease from war with us, we will pay to you any fine that the white maw shall say. He too pressed them to stop their fighting. Word went back to the warriors on both sides, who became wildly excited. Some agreed, others stormed and raged till they were in a frenzy. Would they fight? Even over her body would they fight even over her body? Furious warriors came moving up from both sides, but by arguing and appealing, at last she persuaded the warlike tribe to accept a peace. The town whose drunken youth had wounded the enemy chief at at once paid a part of the fine. They used no money, so the fine was paid in casks and bottles of trade gin. Mary trembled, for as the boxes of gin bottles were brought forward, the warriors pranced with excitement and made ready to get drunk. She knew this would make them fight after all. What could she do? Roar! Voices rose. She could not make her own voice heard. A daring idea flashed into her mind. According to the law of these ego people, clothes drawn over, thrown over anything given, anything clothes thrown over anything give it the protection of your body. She snatched off her skirt and all the clothing she could spare and spread them all over the gym. She seized the one glass that the tribe had and doled out one portion only to each chief to test whether the bottles indeed contained spirit. At last they grew quieter, and she spoke to them. I am going, she said, across the great waters to my home, and I shall be away many moons. Promise me here on both sides that you will not go to war with one another while I am away. We promise, they said. They gathered around her, and she told them the story of Jesus Christ, whose name she had come to them. She told them the story of Jesus Christ, in whose name she had come to them. Now she said, go to your rest and fight no more. And the tribes kept their promise to her, so that when she returned, they could say, It is peace. For nearly 40 years, she worked on in calabar, stricken stricken scores of times with fever. She rescued her hundreds of twin babies thrown out to die in the forest, stopped wars and ordeal by poison, made peace, healed the sick. At last, too weak to walk, she was wheeled through the forest and along the valleys by some of her twins, now grown to strong children. And... And died there, the conquering queen of Calabar, who ruled in the hearts of even the fiercest cannibals through the power of the faith by which, out of the weakness, he was made strong. They were evil if they were born as twins. But she saved hundreds of them. Anyway, never, never underestimate the power of God. If you're willing to be the one that's a willing vessel to be used for him. We have to. It's not our own strength. Mary wasn't strong in her own right, but she was strong because of Christ. All right, you guys can go back.
0: You're going to stay here by me. This morning we have John Olive with us from Cheyenne. He's going to be sharing the word. So come on up here, John, and I'll pray for you and turn the time over to you. Thank you, God, for my brother, John, and for his willingness to come share your word here this morning. And I pray, Father, that you would speak Through him, speak to him, and uh, give him the words that you would have him say. I pray that you would give us all listening hearts and minds and that we would apply the truth of your word to our hearts this morning. Thank you and praise you for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, brother.
4: am I on now are we on the, did y'all hear me no no <clears throat> how are we doing now is that better okay good all right so yeah a few more people than I saw the last time I was here and very um, really grateful to be here today um, this is this is really kind of a a watershed message for me. Uh, since I became a Christian at age 19, I'm turning 58 tomorrow, so I'll let you do the math. Uh, I have been struggling and trying to figure out how to uh, articulate accurately and concisely what saving grace is. There's a lot of uh, pieces that, that seem to interweave, it's, it's salvation by grace, it's also a walk, and how do you put all this together? And in the last six weeks or so, God has meshed that together in my mind where I believe I can articulate that accurately according to scripture and, and really be able to explain what salvation is one of the problems we have is by a particular denomination or group that we're involved in, and it becomes a filter through which we tend to judge all scripture. And it can be incredibly challenging to try to go back and say, Well well this doesn't fit with what I believe about this and how do I how do I reconcile these and and so today I really want to uh, Uh, to take a stab at being able to explain uh, what God has been showing me about salvation and salvation by grace and what that looks like. So we're going to be studying scriptures that you all know really well. There's not going to be anything new or weird or we're not going to be looking at Old Testament parables like I like to do so many times. We're going to be right in the heart of the New Testament in, you know, mostly in Romans. And uh, we'll start in Ephesians chapter 2, which is kind of where we all want to begin when we're talking about salvation by grace. So, so uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So right away we see that salvation is by and through grace, not of works, and yet good works are the result of salvation. Uh, James puts it the same way, and that uh, uh, without evidence of works, there has been no salvation. Uh, so there is this blending together of, of salvation by grace that produces works. And, and so there's this, like, this, this mystery to begin. All right, so let me give you my working definition of what uh, saving grace is. It is being set free and empowered to fulfill an obligation. Being set free and empowered to fulfill an obligation that is the most startling part of what i'm going to be sharing is it's coming out of romans 8 we're going to get there in a little bit but there is an obligation that you and i have as christians we had it before we were christians we still have it difference is we have now been set free from what was shackling us and empowered to fulfill that obligation so let's go to romans chapter 6 we will begin there. We begin to um, uh, to let this same gentleman, the Apostle Paul, who just wrote we, what we read in Ephesians, he's going to be sharing the same things uh, that we're going to be reading here in uh, Romans 6 and, uh, and 8. <clears throat> starting in verse 1 of chapter 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not, or God forbid, or uh, definitely not, or whatever you want to say. No, Uh, just flat out no. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be saved slaves of sin. For he who has died has been, set, has been freed from sin. that we are in practical terms dead to sin if we have been uh, baptized into christ and placed into the into christ verse 12 therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust now before we were christians we had no ability to not let sin reign in our bodies we were slaves to sin but as Christians, as people who have been, uh, have been recipients of grace, we have been uh, born again, we have been infused with the life of God, we are no longer slaves of sin, which is good news, but there comes with it a responsibility. Verse 13, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. But Paul, I thought that grace meant that I could do what I want to do. It's like he answers that in the next verse. What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave to whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? So let me let me see if I can describe it this way. When when we have been freed from slavery to sin, we now face a why in the road. We have options. We have a, a branching tree. We are now free from dominion of sin. And we have a choice. We have. We can go back to our old lifestyle. We can choose to serve sin if we so desire. We also have the indwelling Holy Spirit that is encouraging, pleading, exhorting us to choose to pursue the things of the Spirit. And what I am seeing is that this choice and this decision as to which branch we are going to follow is of critical importance to our salvation. And Paul is going to make that extremely clear as we go through this. We used to have, uh, when I was a uh, law enforcement instructor, we used to have what were called branching videos when we would do training for, for officers uh, and like, shoot, don't shoot, or using uh, lethal force or, or uh, less than lethal force. We would have a, a screen and, and a scenario that was being portrayed, and we could do one of two things. We could uh, program the uh, machine so that uh, the the person on the screen would pick up a knife or pick up a gun or pick up pepper spray or pick up a flower or whatever they might be or we could also have a branching video in which what the officer did we would change the reaction of the individual on the screen in other words there would be consequences for behavior that was in accordance with our use of force policy or against the use of force policy. And so, uh, and I I see this in the same way, is that we have a choice to yield ourselves to the sin nature or to yield ourselves to the nature of God. And based upon that choice, we get different outcomes. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Verse 17, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. We are going to be slaves. Even after we have been set free from the power of sin, what Paul is saying here is that you are going to be a slave to something. You are either going to be, and you're going to be a voluntary slave this time. You are either going to sin or you're going to choose to serve God. There's nothing involuntary about this anymore. You have been delivered. You have been set free. And now every decision that you make is one that you are personally responsible for. It's actually more serious than it was when we were slaves to sin, when we had no ability to control what we did. Uh, Verse 19, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Choose to be a slave of righteousness. That is the decision that honors God. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then, and the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness, and the end everlasting life. So, Paul says... You've been set free from sin and you have become a slave of God and the outcome of that is holiness leading to eternal life all right so the question I, I have for myself and, and for us is that have we in fact chosen voluntarily to become a slave of righteousness or are we still sitting on the fence and thinking it doesn't matter? God saved me I, it's past tense it's done I'm going to heaven. Doesn't matter what I do in this life. I would say you need to be really careful about that, because that's not what I'm seeing in Scripture. There is a choice that you and I are making, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, every day as to what we are serving. We're going to get even more into this in uh, in Romans eight. So we have been um, we have been set free. We know that clearly. But there is still a choice and it is now voluntary on our part with what we do with that life. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we all know that verse extremely well. That's part of the Roman road to salvation and all that. But this is actually talking to believers right here. Paul is using this verse to address believers, not unbelievers. It applies to them as well, but it applies to believers. We are not free to choose as Christians, as blood-bought, redeemed, spirit-filled Christians, we are not free to choose to serve sin. Now that doesn't mean that we live a life of sinless perfection, but it means that we are we are required, we are under an obligation, as we're going to see, to pursue the things of the Spirit. That is what God expects. That is still an obligation that we have. Um, Here. So the question, again, is have you to be a slave to obedience, a slave to righteousness, or is that a muddy concept in your head? This is something that we really need to focus in on as we uh as we go forward in our christian walk now let's go to uh, chapter eight um the uh, the last part of chapter 7 verse 24 oh wretched man that i am who will deliver me from this body of death i thank god through jesus christ our lord so then with my mind i myself serve the law of god but with the flesh the law of sin i have heard romans seven justify a defeated uh, backslidden sinful lifestyle by christians uh... and that is absolutely not what paul is saying here he's not preaching victory in chapter six and victory in chapter eight and then giving us complete defeat in chapter seven the whole point of chapter seven is to Remember that, that there is no path to victory by looking to ourselves. We are still not able to fulfill God's law. Never will be. There is one who can fulfill God's law. And praise God, in a redeemed, spirit-filled Christian, he's living within. It's his life that, that needs to be shining forth. It's his life that is the one that is the overcomer. Never will it be us. And as much as we desire to see victory in our lives, if we are looking to experience victory, that is, in a nutshell, what chapter 7 is all about. So it is, it is uh, let, me, let me see if I can put it this way. All right, uh, I was thinking of an analogy this morning. Let's say that you are about, you are on the starting line of a marathon. How far is that, Mike? 26.2 miles, is that right? Okay. Mike's run a marathon. I don't know anybody else has run a marathon, but um, I am never going to run that marathon, believe me. But I want to run the marathon to eternal life. I want to get on that marathon. And I'm at the starting line and the gun sounds and I start trying to move and I realize that I have a very heavy weight attached to my ankle. And I am not going to make it. I mean, I can tell that within the first uh, 100 yards, you know, takes me an hour to go 100 yards, it's like, this is not going to work, I'm never going to get there. Uh, This is a picture of the sin nature that is shackling us and prohibiting us from running the race of eternal life. Now, uh, a man comes along, capital M, and he's got a hammer and chisel, and he says, would you like to be free of your It's like, uh, yes, sir, very much. Because I'm not going to make this. I'm not going to run this race if I I don't get rid of this thing. I've got a terrible hindrance here. So he puts down his uh, his chisel and whacks it with the hammer and knocks off my burden. And now I can move my feet. I can run. So I start running. Now, if I am left to my own devices. that I am going to have a lot of problems because along this path there are beautiful gardens and there's and there's great food and there's there's temptations of every persuasion and I am not, I'm still not going to make it because that's a long way and I have too many distractions, too many things I want to do along the way. So this man says, well, let me be your guide. I will actually run the race through you. If you let me come and live in you, I'll let you... I'll make my home with you and we'll run this race together. So that is a picture of what eternal life and pursuing eternal life looks like. We aren't going to get past first base until we get rid of the sin nature. But that is, that is only the beginning of this race. It's just like, you know, these, these babies in here. It's like when they're, when they're born, they are alive. They're as alive as they can possibly be. But they are not... Functioning adults yet, that is a process that unfortunately many never get to, especially in third parts of, in third world countries. They never grow up. They're alive. They begin, but they never make it because of a whole variety of things. And so this, this process of spiritual life is is uh, is an event that begins a process. Okay, it is an event that begins a process. Now, chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, your Bible may not say this next part of the verse, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If your your Bible doesn't say that, don't worry about it, because the rest of the verses we're going to read is going to make that clear anyway. But... For those of you who do have that verse in your Bible, let's just think about that a minute. There is now, there is therefore now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we have two possibilities. One is that those who are in Christ Jesus um, walk according to the Spirit, by nature. um, Or that there is a separation here of those who are in Christ Jesus. And some walk according to the flesh, and some walk according to the spirit. Now, if you're like, if you're like me, you've probably done both of those quite a bit in your life. Uh, you've you've uh, had times in your life where you are walking according to the flesh, and times when you're walking according to the spirit. Uh, but there is a significant promise, or a statement about those who walk according to the spirit, and that there is therefore now no condemnation to them. <laughs> And so that's important. And if that distinction isn't clear from that verse, it will be by the time we get through verse 14. Now, verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. This whole natural system that results in failure for us. Verse 3, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh. You see, the, the, the law... Has to look only to you and I as the one who is responsible for filling that law. That's all the law ha- had. When when the law of Moses was given the Ten Commandments, it's like thou shalt and thou shalt not. The the one who is responsible for that was the people there. That was that was you and I. And we couldn't do it. That was but that was the only tool the law had to impose upon was our nature. And unfortunately, our nature was sinful, and so it could not fulfill God's law. And so we had a really significant problem. So God remedied that. Uh, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned, he put under judgment sin and the flesh verse 4 that that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit folks if we are walking in the spirit do you understand that we are going to be fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law which is boiled down to into his essence love God with all your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself do you realize we will be doing that if we are walking in accordance with controlled by led by the spirit that that is going to happen in our lives we are literally going to be fulfilling their law that's what Paul is talking about here this is this is not putting aside the law it is fulfilling the law Again, because of the life of the Spirit within, that is the energy, that is the life force that is able to fulfill God's holy commandment. Be holy for I am holy. That is not just a pipe dream. That is not just something out of Leviticus. It's also in 1 Peter. It is brought over into the New Testament and Peter says, yeah, that that hasn't gone away. That's still here. And... Praise God, we can see that fulfilled in our lives if we choose to walk after the Spirit in accordance with the Spirit. Then we are fulfilling, that That word means to literally make level, like you're filling up a bowl of water and it's getting right up to the, we are fulfilling God's righteous commandment. This is just like mind-blowing. This is happening to us but we cannot accomplish that if we walk according to the flesh. That ain't gonna happen. We're gonna be falling short. <clears throat> Verse five, excuse me, I'm, I'm, my throat's getting a little bit dry. I'm, I know I'm <laughs> talking like a magpie, but um, I'm really excited about this in case you can't tell. I've been, I've been waiting for <clears throat> uh, 40, 39 years for this revelation to dawn on me, and it's come. It's good, it's really good. And some of you are saying like, man, uh, I knew that when I was six, you know? It's like, uh, well, I'm I'm glad for you. Uh, I I had a longer, longer path to get here. For those who live according to the flesh, verse five, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit, again, Talking about believers here. These are all believers. For to be carnally minded or fleshly minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Thank you, brother. Uh, Because the carnal mind or the fleshly mind is enmity or in war against God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So I was trying to think of an example of how to demonstrate this uh, difference between being fleshly minded and spiritually minded. So, I don't know if this is gonna work for you, but it worked for me, so I'm gonna share it. Now, um, anybody ever seen a dandelion? Okay, we probably all have seen dandelions. Maybe fields of dandelions. And when they're in the flowering stage, they're actually quite pretty. I like dandelions. Uh, You can make really good you can put the, the young ones you can take the the leaves off and make uh, salads with it and um and so you know i mean there's some cool things about dandelions but let's think about dandelions after they've gone to seed okay a whole yard full of dandelions that have gone to seed is just ugly i don't know any whether to say it i mean it makes me want to i want to grab the roundup and start spraying you know when i see that in somebody else's yard it's like that is just ugly Now a botanist could probably tell us all kinds of things about dandelions and and how they grow and and uh, and what all is going on in there and it's like and that would be approaching dandelions from a carnal or fleshly uh, way of looking at them, just a natural way of looking at them. Um, But there's not there's not always the way to look at at things from that standpoint. I want to read you uh, anybody ever heard of Lillias Trotter? <clears throat> nobody's heard of Lillias Trotter? oh are you in for a treat? Uh, you, you've heard of Amy Carmichael right? Uh, the uh, missionary in India uh, back in the 1800's okay so Lillias Trotter was the equivalent of Amy Carmichael they were actually long-distance friends they never met each other I don't believe but they communicated and uh, Lillias Trotter was the uh, was the uh, equivalent of uh, Amy Carmichael in North Africa. I think she was in, oh my goodness, which country was she in? Um, Algeria, I believe. So she wrote, um, she did a lot of ministry in North Africa, uh, but she also wrote, and she was a gardener, and, and she wrote about God through gardening. And so let me just give you a little taste of how to look at things from a spiritual perspective instead of a fleshly perspective. <clears throat> the maturing dandelion has long ago surrendered its golden petals and has reached its crowning stage of dying. The delicate seed globe must break up now. It gives and gives till it has nothing left. What a change would come over the world! the world of starving souls and bodies at home and abroad, if something like this were the standard of sharing, if God's people ventured on making themselves poor, as the Lord Jesus did for the sake of the need everywhere, if the I, me, mine were practically delivered up, no longer to be recognized when they clash with those needs. The hour of this new dying is clearly defined to the dandelion globe, it is marked by detachment. There is no sense of wrenching. It stands ready, holding up its life, not knowing when or where or how the wind that bloweth where it listeth may waft it away. It holds itself no longer for its own keeping, only as something to be shared. A breath does not rest, turning the readiness to will into the performance. And to a soul that through deaths often has been brought to this point, even acts that look as if they must involve an effort, become something very natural, spontaneous, full of a heavenly involuntariness, so simply are they the outcome of the indwelling love of Christ. Lillius Trotter has written a couple of books along these lines, parables of the cross where she looks at plants and, and trees and all the things around her. And she is able to see with the eyes of the spirit what God has hidden there to reveal what spiritual life is like. And it, it just makes me wanna to drop to my knees and worship God when I read her stuff. She is a, a saint of uh, amazing insight and sensitivity. And so, so, again, what we're looking at here is a difference between how to look at things with a fleshly perspective versus a spiritual perspective. And I hope that you will never ever see a dandelion in the same way again. You will see something that is a picture of what God is trying to communicate to you and I. Uh, and autumn Leaves, or another one that she goes into, and the, the beauty, the absolute glorious beauty of, of changing leaves is a picture of the absolute glorious beauty of you and I when we cut off the life, the natural life, the first life, the life of the flesh to allow the new life that is to come to begin to, to flow out. Oh, brothers and sisters, Find Something by Lily Estrada. You can find her books uh, on Scribd, and I'm not sure what else, but... Um, um, this is from the Refiner's Fire, which was published by David Wilkerson back in the uh, 80s. Uh, beautiful stuff. Anyway, so uh, I digress. But but uh, I think that's a really good idea to, to remember what it looks like to see things from different perspectives, from a natural or fleshly perspective versus a spiritual perspective. Now, um, where are we? We are in verse 8. So then... Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There's a difference between being in the flesh and after the flesh. Now, if we are in the flesh, we haven't even started the race yet. We haven't even begun. Because if we are in the flesh, uh, verse 9, if you you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Okay, so we are not in the flesh any longer once we are in Christ. We've moved out of that. We are no longer in the flesh. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So even though we are not in the flesh, we can still live after the flesh or according to the flesh. That is, that is that voluntary choice that you and I are now making. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors. We are debtors. Now, this is the word that I began to to um, mull over and God began to work on me about, wait a minute, wait a minute, I've been set free. I've been set free. I am free from the power of sin. Paul is talking to the brothers here. He says, therefore, brethren, that is, that is that word for that. It is used all the time in scripture for brothers and sisters in Christ. We are, we are brethren. This is, he's talking to believers and we are still debtors. So I thought, well, what is that word? um off uh, offlet it's a it's a word that is used in Luke chapter 13 uh, let's let's look at that real quick because I want to make sure that you see the context of this word Luke 13 <clears throat> the the passage repent or perish um, Luke 13, verse 1, There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? That word, sinners, right there, is the same word Paul is using here in chapter 8. Sinners, in the sense of having an obligation to a holy God that they are not fulfilling. And Paul is in Romans 8 addressing believers, and he's using that exact same word to say you, brethren we are debtors we owe something to god we have a responsibility here that has not gone away we have only the grace that we have received has has set us free and enabled us to now fulfill that obligation as he said the righteous requirement of the law that it be fulfilled in us who walk according to the Spirit. We are still under that obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God These are sons of God. I don't know if you can see what I'm seeing there, but there is an obligation to live according to the Spirit, that that is the pathway of obedience that leads to a life of sanctification, that leads to eternal life, and living according to the flesh results in death. And, and bear with me here because this death has to be spiritual death. Whether you and I walk according to the flesh or according to the spirit, we're still walking around living and one day we're going to die unless the Lord returns. That's not what Paul's talking about here. He is saying if you and I live according to the flesh, we are going to die. And that has to be spiritual death from the context. This is a very serious deal. It's like, well, how does that work? How can someone who's, who's been saved be, be lost? I don't know, but let's think about some things here. <clears> 1 <throat> Timothy 5.8 If you don't support your dependence, you have denied the faith and are worse than an unbeliever. Okay. That was a paraphrase. Your version won't say exactly that, but that's what it says. Uh, Okay, so you can be, as a believer, you can actually be worse than an unbeliever by simply failing to pay uh, for your dependents. In in the context of that particular passage, it's talking about uh, paying for your your widows um, who were otherwise being supported by the church. Uh, let's look at um, at Second Peter, <clears throat> chapter two. Uh, While they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. Uh, chapter two, first Second uh, Peter, verse nineteen. Sorry. Um, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, Through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. Same idea here is that when God sets us free, He expects us to, you know, it troubled me for years. It's like the new covenant, the new covenant, the new covenant. Everything I know about covenant is um, when there's a covenant between people, there's something that the other side has to do also. (laughs) Um, And I, I know there's covenant by faith, but I also know that there's something really serious and I'm not seeing it, God. What is it? And it's like, oh, yeah, it's right here. It is to live after the Spirit, to walk in accordance with the Spirit. That is my part of this covenant. God has set me free from the power of sin. He has enabled me to fulfill it as I turn to Him. It's actually effortless when God is doing the work. But He absolutely requires that I make that choice, that conscious choice, to obey Him and to walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Like, okay, so if I don't do that, then God says, well, I look at you as worse than an unbeliever because the unbeliever was bound to sin. He was a slave to sin. He had no choice. So he's going to get his punishment, which he deserves, but you're also going to get punished and actually a little worse than that because I had set you free. I had enabled you to be able to walk in in accordance with the Spirit and you simply chose not to because that wasn't what you wanted to do. You decided you wanted to do what you wanted to do in this life. And that, to me, looks worse than if you were still a slave. Ouch. Now, uh, another passage. Now, here's here's a thought. You take this concept And you go back and read through the New Testament and see if it doesn't start to make a whole lot of sense to a whole lot of passages that you struggled with. Because it does. It absolutely cleans up so many things. Um, Matthew 24, verse 45. Who then is that faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, shall find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant, remember, he's still a servant. If that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion of with the hypocrites. In Luke, in a companion scripture, it says, and will appoint him as a portion with the unbelievers. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now there is no place in heaven that where it's being described here, right? We all agree with that? There's no spot in in heaven that's going to involve weeping and gnashing of teeth, hypocrites and unbelievers. This is obviously referring to hell. And this is a servant of the master, okay? Because he chose to neglect what his master told him to do and to go do his own thing. That doesn't work out so well. Cut in two, by the way, is a covenant term. When those animals are divided, you know, they split lengthwise and they, and they do the figure eight. They, they walk between the pieces. They pronounce the blessings and curses on each other. Uh, Deuteronomy 28 talks about this. Uh, you can see the blessings and curses. What they're saying is that if, if we don't fulfill our side of the, con- of the covenant, then God do mo- so to me more so than these animals. It's like, cut me in two, God, because I am being unfaithful to my covenant. That is exactly what has happened here to this slave. He has chosen to do what he wanted to do, and he has been cut in pieces as a covenant breaker, as a covenant violator this this concept here of being set free and empowered to fulfill an obligation cleans up the new testament as far as i'm concerned everything begins to make sense and flow together Uh, pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the lord amen hebrews 12 14. there are so many verses where we see this concept over and over again Let's, let's jump to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and look at that for a second. <clears throat> and, and Paul and his little race, he's running here. Uh, verse 24, do you not know that those who run in a race, all right, and what was Paul thinking of? He was thinking of the marathon because that was going on in his time. They were running, the, the Greeks were running the marathons. That was actually a part of, the, of their culture. So that's what he's thinking of. He's thinking of the marathon. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Okay, so what kind of prize are you talking about here, Paul? And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus, I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. It makes total sense when we think of of what Paul is writing about here in Romans 8. It's like, hey guys, um, I I don't have my ticket punched yet. I am a fellow pilgrim just like y'all are. I'm on my way to the celestial city, but I ain't there yet. And um, I'm really careful about how I deal with myself and, and what I let myself get into because I don't want to be disqualified after I preach to you. Amen. That's what he's saying. It has nothing to do with some kind of uh, crown that he's going to get in heaven and cast. It. He's talking about his soul. He's not preaching, he's not when he says I'm preaching to others, he's not talking about preaching to them about some little crowns they're going to get. He is preaching to them about the message of salvation. That is what he's preaching. And he doesn't want to miss out on that. So he is making sure that he keeps his eye on the target and that he is walking according to the spirit. Um, let's look at one more passage Galatians 5 it's really hard to stop once you get on this because it's everywhere <clears throat> Galatians 5:16. I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish there is a choice to deny the fleshly desires in order to pursue and walk according to the Spirit. And then he says a little bit later in that passage, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Like, so that should be true of us. We should be crucifying our passions and desires. all right so um now i i want to close with this thought is that uh paul talked about about being a soldier to timothy he talked about being a good soldier um and he said we are to endure hardship we are to go through this life and and focus on fulfilling the desires of the spirit and turning our interests away from the desires of the flesh. And at the at the end of Paul's life. He got to the point to where. He could state that. He had. Um, I'm going to read it here. <clears throat> I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That is the goal that you and I have, is to finish likewise. That we can look back at the end of our lives. And if that isn't going so well today, (laughs) praise God, you're still here. You're still alive. You can. Repent! and You can change the direction your life's headed, and you can decide, I am going to, from this point forward, be a person who is following the Spirit. I'm going to pay attention to spiritual things, not to things of this world. I'm going to look at dandelions through Lilius Trotter's perspective, instead of, uh, you know, the chemical company's perspective. I'm going to look at things differently from this point forward, So that you and I can get to the end of our lives and say, like the Apostle Paul did, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Amen? Amen. Thank you.